0: Well done, Peyton. I think that was exactly like 1.49. That was just really good, really good. And by the way, I tease Austin because I love him. But you guys, if you see him today, just give him a pat on the back and tell him how, how good a job he's done under the circumstances. Just it seems like everything that could possibly go wrong technically goes wrong and his voice and all of that. And I think he did a really good job in in spite of all that. So you know, I almost called this sermon a three-hour tour. A three. Oh, you know what I'm talking—see, I, I chose not to go that way. I guess there's enough boomers among us. I tested that out with all the young folk and—well, not all of them, but quite a few of them— and they all said, huh, what? And I'm like, okay, all right, boomer reference, I get it, I won't use it. Uh, but that was Gilligan's Island, you know, the seven-stranded out there on that island. They just went out for a three-hour tour, and uh, pretty soon they were there for three years and 99 episodes. And Yeah, Gilligan's Island. So, But I'm not going to use Gilligan's Island because nobody knows it. Uh, instead, we're going to talk about a different... Uh, three-day, three-week, I don't know. It was a long tour. It wasn't meant to be as long as it was. Not nearly as funny as Gilligan's Island, but I would say that that what we're going to look at today in terms of this whole journey, this voyage, uh, is way more helpful to our faith than Gilligan's Island. So if you're up watching me channel and going hours and hours of It's not not useful. Um, The remaining two chapters of Acts is Paul's journey as he continues on his way toward Rome. Remember that at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, 8, Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem. You remember those concentric circles, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. And if you kind of picture that outermost part, that ring pushing outward, it's kind of like Paul's on a ship at the edge of that ring going out. And he kind of gets to what at that time was sort of quasi the end of the earth when he gets to Rome. But he has to get there. He has to go through this journey. Though we are not apostles and we are not, you know, Paul had a very unique story. And, and we're not saying go and do likewise. You don't have to take a ship to go anywhere in particular to uh, faithfully follow the scripture. But though we are not apostles, we are in that same journey in, in the big story arc term, right? Right? When we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is 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 taking ground; it is pushing outward. The gospel that Paul was given to carry to Rome is the same gospel that you and I carry. So we're still we're still engaged in that same work, but for now we are um, in that pro- progress of the journey. Think about Pilgrim's Progress, which you'll notice I did a little takeoff there in the title today: Seafarer's Progress. Um, yeah, that that kind of it, it portrays the Christian life as a journey, and we are, in one sense, on a journey. Paul's life isn't an allegory, per se, but if we look at what happens along the way as he gets to Rome, you know, a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, a funny thing happens for Paul on the way to Rome. Um, there are various ways in which God was dealing with Paul that he deals with us in very similar fashion. And thus, we have our big idea today: leverage God's provision in the journey, even before you arrive at the destination. We tend to think destination. How many are like that? You're always just If you're like me and you're you're a planner and you think ahead, like you have the journey, uh, not so much the journey, but the destination in mind when you set out. Am I the only one that feels that way? I just want to know my ETA. When do I get there? And and I tend to think of that time in between as unimportant. But When we think about our Christian lives we, you know, we don't live outside of time God lives outside of time But we, we are very much in time And we never live tomorrow We're always living today We're always living in the moment And and so rather than getting fixated alone on the destination We want to realize that God's provision is with us right now on the way And, and some incredible things happen on the journey And we can leverage those for his kingdom So that's where we're at Uh, The first way in which God meets and equips us for the gospel work that we're engaged in is that God may give us friends for our journey. God may give us friends for our journey. How many love geography? I know at least one person that loves geography, so he's not going to put his hand up. But that's okay. I know who you are. I know who you are. Few people do. Okay, I hate geography. But you've got to do it. I gave you the map today because there's no way that uh, I can do justice to all. You think about all those names that poor Peyton had thrown at him, and he did really well with a lot of them. And, and yet, um, yeah, I don't have time to give you lots and lots of information about each place. But, anywho, you look, at the, you look at that map, you've got it in front of you. Paul's there at Caesarea, he's been there for two years. That's the Roman sort of stronghold in. Israel and and that's where he'd been held in prison and now he leaves there and we see that Luke is with him. Luke is with him. How do we know that Luke is with him? Because he says we. You've heard of the we passages in Acts and that doesn't mean little tiny passages. That means where Luke the writer is suddenly using the term we. So we say Luke is there with him. Along with him is good old Aristarchus. How many just love that Aristarchus guy? Isn't he great? You're like, who's Aristarchus? Actually, the interesting thing is Aristarchus is like a really true, loyal friend to Paul. And we see that, what we find out, if you read Colossians, where Paul is writing to the Colossians out of his Roman imprisonment, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Now, isn't that interesting? What does that suggest? I believe Aristarchus was with him on their way to Jerusalem. He's been there with him throughout his captivity in Caesarea. Not because he was arrested. We haven't learned of anyone besides Paul being arrested. But but he is so attached to Paul that when he gets to Rome, he continues with Paul in such a way that either literally or figuratively, Paul looks upon him, this, this good friend, as a fellow captor. As a fellow prisoner for the Lord. When you go to 2 Timothy... As Paul is about to be poured out as a drink offering when he says he's run the race, he's kept the faith, he's about ready to die, who is it that's by his side? Who would you guess? you think Aristarchus? No. Luke. Luke. Luke is with him. Luke is the last one who is there by his side. So he has these two really good friends with him. And then we read in in verse 3, The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Did you notice the word friends? It should have popped out at you there. Paul had friends in every port. I don't even remember if we've been to Sidon before in the book of Acts, but uh, when he gets to Sidon, he, he, he visits his friends because he has friends everywhere, friends in the gospel. Apply this idea to your life for a moment. As a believer, God has given you friendships. Recognize that. Recognize that right now in your life, in this voyage or journey, whatever you want to call it, You have people within the church, outside the church, but I hope within the church as well. You have friends. You have people like Aristarchus in your life. You have people like Luke in your life. And if you were to say to me, but Pastor Jay, I don't. I don't feel like I've got those kinds of friends in my life. I would sound like a parent when I would say to you then, if you want friends, got to be a friend. If you want Aristarchus and Luke and people like that and unnamed friends in your life, get involved in the church. The church is not meant to be just what we're doing right now. This is certainly part of our life together. But there's, we, we, are to, we are meant to connect with each other. And if, if some things seem frivolous here and there, like the 5-2 like the meal each week, if you think, wow, why are you eating together every week? We don't need to do that. That's a little overkill. Because we just want a lot of opportunities for you people to be together, to break bread together, to get to know each other, and there's clusters, there, there are the ABFs, there's been small groups, there's ministries that you could get involved in a ministry with another person, work alongside of them, you will become friends. You will get engaged in that way. If the great apostle Paul, who could be alone, he was very capable of being alone, if that guy needed friends, how much more do we need friends? How much, how much will we benefit from nurturing those good friendships? So, yeah, leverage that. Secondly, God may give us favor. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but uh, Roman centurions come off pretty well in the New Testament. Have you ever thought that? Like, why is that? They all seem like salt-of-the-earth kind of guys, kind of stand-up guys, something about that magic number of not being too big for your britches, but being over 100 guys. I don't know why that seems to work. Maybe it's just coincidence that it always seems to work out that the centurions are kind of like the good guys in the story. It, it, it just seems to work out that way. He shows a lot of respect for Paul. He gives Paul, throughout this story, he gives Paul a lot of favor. And you ask yourself, well, why would that have been the case? Why? Was it because Paul was a Roman citizen? Was it because Paul was brilliant? Have you ever gotten the chance to hang around with somebody that's really, really smart? For me, that's almost always the case. I'm almost, always hanging around with somebody smarter than me. Uh, it just works out that way. And, uh, but... You know, don't you just kind of, you, you kind of want to like bow to their wisdom, listen to them give, them, give them full, as much favor as possible. What we have to realize here, though, is it didn't have to be that way. It w- it, there's nothing magic that says that, that Paul would have had to have gotten someone who showed him so much deference. I mean, he could have gotten the opposite. It's not like Rome had a hiring policy analogous to Chick-fil-A. It's not that they went, okay, well, we need some really bubbly, perky, customers always write centurions on. He could have gotten Voldemort, really. He could have gotten Darth Vader here. He didn't have to get a Julius, but that's who God provides for him. Paul didn't always get the best people, and he had the scars to prove, prove it. But here, Paul experiences what we could describe as just a mercy of God. That in the mercy of God, in the providence of God, in this time, in this place, God puts him in in such a situation that he finds favor. Have you ever been in situations where you found favor, Christian? Unexpected, inexplicable, just the gracious favor of, of someone around you. I think we should exploit that. You say, well, that sounds devious, I mean, exploit it. That just sounds like you're using people. No, no, I mean, if God grants us something for our journey, if God packed it in our rucksack to take along, what should we do with it? Use it, right? Use it, leverage it. So, if, if by the grace of God, say you're a youth pastor, I'm not thinking of Scott particularly when I say this, but like any youth pastor, let's say the, the principal of the high school, says, I love youth pastors. I think youth pastors are the best thing in the world. You're a youth pastor, you come to the school anytime you want. You know, I tell you what, lunchtime, you just check in at the office, put your name in, and I will tell them that I am happy you are there. And you sit and you talk to your, and if other kids come along and they want to talk to you, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to cause you any problem. When things like that happen, you go... That's good. That is. A, you guys probably think I'm twisting Scott's arm right now. It's just an illustration. It's just an illustration. Or, or as a church body, uh, sometimes we're, we're blessed, and some churches don't experience this. There are churches in the nation where they can't build a building because they can't get the code and permits and all that because the city's kind of not showing them favor. But, man, I tell you, there's plenty of times where you, for whatever reason, it, it, you're smiled upon. You remember when we bought the north property here, those that have been with us that long? And we bought it. I don't know if you remember this. There was a street running through our parking lot. We didn't realize it. We're in the midst of buying the property, and they go, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a street technically that runs through And they go, well, we've got to get that one locked down. That could have taken years. And the city's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. We'll just abandon it. That's fine. It's like, how does that happen? Why does that happen? Because God is gracious, and, and we... All, we we should look at our lives. We, look, we should look at the providence of God in our life, not to try to read tea leaves or anything. But we should look at what what God, what is God doing? What is He giving me? What are the resources? Let's put those to use. How do we leverage that? It must be there for a reason. God gives us favor, and God may give us limits for the journey. How many love their limits? You love limits, yeah. What we said until now does not mean that Paul was calling all the shots and signing autographs. It wasn't quite that kind of thing. They travel along the coast of Asia. So now we're back at the map here. If you look at it, they're coming along. We, we call it Asia. It's Asia Minor in today's terminology. But they're coming up along the coast of Asia Minor. They've hit side, you know, Caesarea side, and now they're coming around that, that coast. And they get to Cyprus. And, uh, and they go on the leeward side of Cyprus. How many even know what leeward means? If you're not a sailor, you probably don't even know that term. For the most part, we don't use that term. But it means that it was on the side that was protected from the wind. In this case, it was on the north side. The wind's against them as they come around, as they're facing into the west. They have to tack against it. It's slow going. They arrive at the port of Myra. And here is where they switch ships They'd been on a ship uh, bound for uh, Adramitium, and that ship was going to keep going. that That lay further north, and had they stayed with that, they would have just kept coming up the coast. But instead, remember, they got to get to Rome. They got to get to Italy. So there's a ship that's bound for Italy. It's probably. It says it's out of Alexandria. It's an Egyptian ship, probably carrying grain. That's the best guess. That's what would have been coming out of that area. And that is going to take them all the way to Italy. And Julius makes sure that they've got passage on that. This is when things get exciting. This is when, yeah, when, when, uh, when things get into rough water. The time of year is working against them. The weather is working against them. They sail to Crete. So if you're following the little map there, they sail toward Crete. They go on the leeward side again. You're like, well, that's the opposite side. Yep, that's how it works out with with the whole wind thing and everything, but they go this time along the south of Crete. Imagine this kind of like if you were driving back to Great Bend, and you'd been down in Texas or Oklahoma and you're heading home, and you hit the Oak, say it's, uh, we'll say you're driving in November. It's iffy. You can have good weather in November, you can have bad weather. That's roughly about the time they're sailing here. And you hit the Uh, kansas border you know and uh, you start to come north into kansas all at once you get hit by freezing rain and it starts getting slick there uh what are you going to do what are you going to do i'm so close i'm so close to great Bend. i'm just gonna slow down but i think i can make it Would would you like, I don't know, Jay, I'd have to be in this situation. How much do I need to get home? How slick is it? You have to weigh those things. Maybe we should stop, stay in a hotel. Maybe it'll be better tomorrow. You, you don't know. And, and that's exactly the kind of situation they're in. Um, with difficulty, they get to a place ironically called fair. Havens. I say ironically because even though I'm sure it was a lovely place, probably still a lovely place to this day, uh, it was not really a fair haven for this time of year. So the idea of staying is not good. They're not protected from the elements there. It's after the fast. Did you pick up on that where it says it's after the fast? And you thought, after what fast? That would be the Day of Atonement. Which, like Easter moves, you know, so it could have been this time of year, that time of year. It's probably uh, somewhere after October that that they're sailing. And in the Mediterranean for that day, you didn't really sail past mid-September. You could with difficulty and with risk. Sailors then would stop sailing from November 1st all the way through march that was just kind of like a rule of thumb you didn't sail so we're getting into some really really iffy territory at this point here paul hits a limitation because paul says no we should not go on this is what he says sirs i perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship but also our lives Now, Paul is not a sailor, but he's also not a newbie here. He knows sailing. He's been on plenty of voyages, and, I mean, his sanctified imagination, the Holy Spirit within him, it doesn't say that he's speaking prophetically, but he has a strong sense that this is not going well. Paul's advising them not to take the chance. And yet, I thought this was interesting, you think... Democracy was like some recent invention. The majority, <laughs> the majority rule against them. Paul cannot push against the majority. They, they want to go on. They decide to, to, to get around. They're going to try to get to Phoenix. They're like Glenn Campbell. By the time they get to Phoenix, they've got this great plan. That that's a, I'm sorry, that was also a boomer reference for those that don't know. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not a super long journey. If you look at, you're looking at the map, if you, you're just talking about getting from one end of this island to the other, from, from, the, from the southeast to the southwest, just that little, and they, and they can keep it right there in view as they go along. In our pilgrimage, we will not always have blue skies and fair sailing. As powerful as Paul is here as an apostle, as persuasive as he was, there were so many things here, if you look at it, that are outside of his control. He's still a prisoner. He couldn't change the date on the calendar. He, even though he was an apostle, could not command the wind and the waves to obey him. He could not overrule the majority. God has limitations in our life, and that is part of how he has ordered the universe. Sad, right? Wouldn't you like to just be in ultimate control at all times? How many would love to just always be in control and not be limited by any of the limitations you face. None of you, you're so wise. I, I appreciate your, your great wisdom that none of you stri- strive against your limits the way I do. I, I hate my limits. I do. I, I really absolutely do. But yet, in his sovereignty, in his providence, God has given us both strengths and weaknesses, talents and deficits, and, it, and there's just, there are a lot of givens in life. Do you use the phrase givens? I'm not sure that's, you know, okay, you're shaking your head, no. So I don't know where I picked that up years ago, but uh, givens are those things which are given. That is, they are not going anywhere. They are set. They are givens, meaning no matter how hard you strive against them, they just are what they are. You can't change, tell me if I'm wrong, you can't change how many days you've lived up till now. Yeah, anybody capable of time travel yet? No, so you can't change the number of days you've lived. You can't change how many days you have yet to live. There's there there are just certain things. Yes, we, we're Americans and we believe that you know we can do anything and we can. But you know what? There are some things that are limitations and they are gifts of God to us. They are gifts of God. We look at them as bad. But this is part of how God leads us. This is part of the journey. If we didn't have givens, Paul wouldn't be where he is if he could just snap his finger as an apostle and just be in Rome overnight. But this is part of how God works in our life. God may give us influence on the journey. God may give us influence. Paul has an amazing amount of influence here for who he is when you stop. Here he is a Jew. Not a, I mean, Yes, technically he's a Roman but, I mean, he's part of that crazy weird Jewish mob, you know, to the Romans. And he's a prisoner, so that doesn't speak well for him. He's not a sailor. He's not a sea captain. He's not the owner of the vessel. And yet, look at, look at, the, look at the deference and influence he has. Even in verse 10, when he first tells them that he's not, not wanting to go on and that he thinks there's going to be problems, even there they're listening. Even, they, I mean, they're, they're giving him the time of day. They're letting him speak. Now, at the end of the day, the pilot and the, uh, and they, they call him the pilot. I'm not sure why, but it's captain, right? Captain and the owner both want to push forward. And if you're Julius at that moment, even though you've, you've got a certain amount of respect for Paul, who are you going to listen to? I mean, I'd, I mean, you know, if the captain says, oh, get you around there, you know, whatever, you're like, oh, well, he sounds like he knows what he's doing. And the owner, he's got everything to lose, but he's saying, oh, we can get around that island. It's not really a problem. Of course, Paul's influence is going to increase exponentially when he proves to be correct. Starting in verse 13, they start their attempt to get around Crete to the port of Phoenix. You see that on your map there. I'm sure that they were saying, look, we're going to stay close. We're going to keep the mainland in sight there as we, as we putz along. We'll never leave the, get the shore out of view and it'll be there and we'll just, we'll just work. Hey, we got this little wind picked up all at once. Oh, this feels good. We're just going. To sh- how long can it take? How long can it take? It's got to be good. It reminds me of years ago um, in a brief period of, uh, of uh, insanity, I did some um, skydiving and uh, I'll never forget one time a lot of things kept going wrong with me, which probably why I gave it up. But I remember on one particular occasion, they, they set me out. They'd, they had already done this like an hour earlier in the day, and the wind had been fine. And they threw a little wind drift marker. And they, and I'll never forget, my, my dive master, he goes, huh. Because it went, Psh! and he goes, I think the little metal piece fell off. I'm going to put you out where we went out sure why not okay sounds like a plan and I opened up the chute you know as, as you know, after, well, after jumping um, open up <laughs> just want to make sure you didn't think I was that stupid but anyway so I open it up and I get all everything situated I get a hold of things so and I look down and, oh there's the there's the airport It had a grass runway and I'm like there's the airport and i'm doing one of these the whole way that was as close as i ever got to the airport was because you're at the mercy of the wind it's not like you got a motor on there and all of a sudden you just go you know that doesn't matter how close it is or the fact that you can see it and that's exactly what's going on here they can sure they can see uh crete as they're going around there but they never get any closer they're never able to get actually where they want to go the wind drives them yeah, they sail again, again, leeward for a third time here in the text. They, now they're going along a little island right off the tip of, of Crete there, Kouda, uh, And uh, that's where they pull in the dinghy, you know. That's not the dinghy that ate her baby, that's, the, that's a dingo. This is a dinghy. This is like a little, little boat that they pull aboard. And uh, at that point, things are getting rough. They have to tie cables, strong rope underneath and around the hull of the ship because they're literally at this point already starting to fear that the ship is going to be broken in two they also fear they're going to be driven onto the sirtis and i know we all avoid the sirtis with all our powers right like what's the sirtis well the sirtis was off the north africa coast and it was like shallow water and and shifting sand barges whatever you want to call them and um It was like the Bermuda Triangle to them. They heard horror stories about the so They would avoid that at all costs. And so it says they lowered the gear. That probably means that they took the sails down. Everything that was part of of the the sailing aspects of the ship, all of that stuff was taken down. It goes from normal precautions to just last-ditch efforts in real short order. Look at verse 18. Already by verse 18, they're throwing out the cargo. Think about how serious you have to be to throw out all your cargo. You know, when you're back coming across the Oklahoma-Kansas border, it's not like you're going to open up the trunk and just fling all of your your stuff out. Can you imagine? Well, like, what would possess me to do that? Well, this this, this became necessary for them. Then, after three days of what is a typhoon, that's what they're experiencing is a typhoon on the open ocean. They start throwing out the tackle. And that's not for fishing. That's not fishing tackle. We're talking about. This means all of their tools, for all of the rigging and, and, and everything else. And and uh, you know, Luke actually says with their own hands that they that they that they threw this stuff overboard, meaning like they took the mast and this and the spars and everything, and they literally together you know heave ho and off off it went. This would be like being out on the ocean with a couple twin, you know, Yamaha outboards. And, you know, I can't imagine in what circumstance, because I think they float just fine. But uh, if it was bad enough that you were to say, okay, I'm just going to dump those to the bottom of the ocean. That's the kind of situation they're in. When neither sun nor stars appear for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of, of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, I love this. (laughs) Paul's such a sweet guy. Men, you should have listened to me. (laughs) Don't you love that? Thanks, Paul. And not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Imagine imagine this condition of, of, of having been three days in the typhoon and then many days afterward. I knew a guy... He was really into sailing. He had a nice sailboat. It could sleep four people. It was a pretty good size, and he put it up on Lake Superior up in Minnesota. But on this one occasion, he was on Malax Lake. I don't know if you've ever looked at a map of Minnesota, but there's a very large inland lake. I mean, there's ten thousand lakes in Minnesota, but there's a big, huge one right in the middle. And he was out on that one day, and uh, it was wearing on toward evening. And he thought, "Well, I'm just going to you know puts on in and put up the put up the boat." And uh, all at once, just yeah. It, it just got bad really, really fast, and he threw the anchor out, and he, he called nine one one, and the sheriff came out. You know, like what's the sheriff going to do? He's the sheriff sat there at the end of the uh, of, of the place where you put in, with his headlights shining on the on the boat all night long, and he just he just weathered that out overnight, and he told me his hair just about had turned white by morning. It was that bad. And That was in an inland lake, <laughs> you know. For a night, these people, think about what they've been to. Just imagine how bad this would have been. Why do you suppose they hadn't eaten at this point? (laughs) Could it be, even though these were seafaring folk, that they, they hadn't eaten because they couldn't keep it down? And Paul stands probably with difficulty. I'm guessing maybe he's holding on to something. And he addresses them with sounds, sounds very much like an I told you so kind of moment. Do you think that's what he was doing? Do you think he just wanted it? Ah, Nanner, nanner, should have listened to me, whatever. No. Again, I think what Paul is doing here is is he's leveraging something. His street cred or his ocean cred has just gone up exponentially. And I think what he's doing is he's taking that credibility and he's connecting it with his God, he's using his influence for the gospel. What has God given to you? What kind of influence has God given you in your life? Where people covet your prayers. Maybe they're unbelievers, but they know that you walk with the Lord and they've, they've seen God answer prayer in your life. And so they get into trouble and they come to you and they say, will you pray for me? How can we take that? and utilize that for the purposes of God's kingdom. One last provision here. God may give us the souls of men on the journey. This is my favorite one. I think it'll be your favorite as well when you stop and really think about it. Remember earlier when Paul was giving them the doom gloom speech and he said, not only only do I perceive that eh, we're gonna lose everything, I think we're gonna lose a lot of lives in the process as well. Now, I said at the time, I don't think Paul was speaking prophetically. I don't think he's indicating it at that point. But look what he says now. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So what's Paul doing there? Paul is giving them the picture of this big, big work of God. There's this big mission of God, that, this story arc that's bigger than Paul and bigger than them. And God is going to do that. And because God is going to do that, God has to take Paul there and he has to bring Paul there. But then he takes his His story and he says, you know what? And because you're in this ship with me, God is saying that he has granted me your lives as well. Isn't that cool? Don't you? I mean, there's something about that that I just love. And I think there's... I think there's application for us as well. Are we not in some respects like the 10, the 10 righteous that were not, didn't happen to be in Sodom and Gomorrah that day? You remember that whole bargaining thing between Abraham and God? And he's like, well, would you still destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous? You know, no, not for 50. What about 40? Do I hear 30? What about 20? Give me 10. And then he doesn't go any further below that and it turns out there's not even 10. But I think sometimes... If we look at what God's doing in the United States, what God's doing in our city, that, that as salt and light, that God at times in grace and mercy toward his people is, is rescuing the world along with us, or at least preserving the world in, in their natural lives, at least for a time. And who knows but what God may give us, the very people that he's put into our Households. How many have prodigals you're praying for? I know I know, and I'm praying for some of your prodigals. I've got a list of, of prodigals that are not just my own personal ones, but they're 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 of yours. Pray that because of you, those in your family and, and work out from there, not just your family, but those around you. That, that somehow, that God will use that, that calculus, as it were, to say, you know what? Because you serve me, because you're with me, because, I'm, because of what I'm doing in your life, I'm going to take the souls of those of your family and bring them with you. Does God always do that? I'm not going to say that he does. But man, God does it a surprisingly does it surprisingly often I, we, I just heard a story the other day actually my wife uh shared this with me but uh there's this guy on the well he has a podcast he's on youtube and some um some other places as well but uh he used to be a, a, a an atheist and a practicing homosexual and this went on for years his mother was a christian and um, yeah she died without seeing him come to the lord and then at some point he came to Christ and years later his sister handed him a letter and she said, I was going through some stuff and this is a, this is a letter from mom to me years before you ever came to the Lord. And, uh, and he just wept when he read it because it, the, here was his mother you know, expressing that, that hope that every Christian parent has for their prodigal. Just saying, you know, if, if, if we love him, if we pray for him, you know, God, God may yet draw him to himself and God did draw him, and that's just, yeah, that's what I want. I want to take hold of this and leverage that. I'm like, I I found already I was praying that way this week. Lord, give me the souls of the people in the boat with me. I want them. You gave them to Paul. Give them to me, too. Is that a bad way to pray? No. That's a good way to pray. Yeah, let's take hold of that. Let that encourage you. Take stock of the provisions God has given you. Let's look through them one more time, just really quickly. What are the provisions that God gave Paul that he has probably given you as well? Christian friends. Has God given you Christian friends? Okay, what about favor? Favor with those people that might be in positions of, of power or authority. How many have some limits? A couple of you. You can say, you can look at your limits. You know, God's in the limits as well. What about influence? People that listen to you, that have come to respect you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Speak to them. What about the souls of those who are with you? Man, I just just want to kind of camp out on this promise and say, Lord, I want, that's what I want. At the end of the day, I I want the souls of those who've traveled with me. That's not just your family, is it? It's people at work. It's people around you. Lord, give me, give me the people traveling with me. Give, them the, give me the people that are on the voyage, on the, on the three-hour three tour, whatever it is, give, give them to me. I think we should just be, yeah, just, just covetous of that. If you're a fellow traveler here today but you don't know Christ, guess what? In one sense, we're in the same boat. Huh? See what I did there? we're kind of in this yeah you know, we're but it, but it but for a time for a time here in Great Bend in this place at this point in time we are in the same boat now we have a different destination currently where we're planning on get getting to to quote from Pilgrim's Progress is the celestial city And right now, you've not set your your heart on that. You've set your goal for Vanity Fair or wherever else along the way. And, And what we want to say to you today is there is a better destination and there is a greater treasure in the kingdom of God. Turn to Christ. He is our great treasure. He is our Redeemer. Look to Him today. Turn to Him and be saved and join that journey. And not only will your destination be laid in, your course set, but God will have provision for you along the way. And much of that provision is gonna be in the context of God's people. So so come, be part of that great work of God with us. Let's pray. Lord, we, we trust you. We do tend to get our eyes set on a distant future or we get so myopic that we only see the problems, Lord. Open our eyes so that, that we might see all of the, the multiple ways in which you have accounted for that journey, Lord. Provided you've laid things in that we just don't even fully, 100% grasp, but yet there they are. You were with Paul. You got him where you were taking him. We believe the same is true for us, Lord, that you will... Finish the good work that you began in us. And Lord, may we have confidence in that. And we pray, Lord, that you'll give us those that are in the boat with us. We just earnestly ask for that. And even today, Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, we pray that you might rescue their soul. That you might turn them toward Christ. That they might receive his salvation and join the journey with us. We ask it in his name. Amen.